Hi, I'm Mona Lewis, the sports director of WSU, and I want to personally welcome you to X's and Opinions. Sit back and listen as some of WSU sportscasters break down some of the major headlines over the past week of professional sports. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at WSU Sports for more content, and rate this podcast and subscribe if you enjoy. Now, let's get started, shall we? Hello, everyone, and welcome to another iteration of the X's and O's sports podcast on WSOU streaming services. My name is Dalton Allison, and I'll be the host this week. And joining me this week is John McCooch and Joe Walls. Boys, what is happening this week? Uh, nothing much. Just got a great week of sports going on. NFL's going on today. I'm feeling pretty good. Yeah, of course. Yeah, same here. Just watching yeah. some football, you know. Yeah, that's the best thing to do on the Sunday. I know it's been getting pretty busy um, around school this week because of midterms and stuff like that. I know I had a midterm this week. And my testing technology failed me in the middle of the test. So I had to go back and I had to retake it. But I hope midterms have been at least a little bit better to you guys. Yeah, they've been all right so far. Nothing, nothing too crazy yet. Exactly. Right. Somehow haven't had almost any at all. That's, uh, wow. that's pretty lucky. Um, <laughs> but we'll stop talking about school and we'll get right to the action because there is a lot of action. Now we're recording this on Sunday. So there is going to be game five tonight, but game four of the Tampa Bay Rays and Los Angeles Dodgers, just about as crazy as a World Series game as you'll ever see. People are already putting it in the top 10 conversations for World Series games of all time. Crazy, crazy ending to it. And what happens is it's a 2-2 tie heading into game five tonight. What is your guys' take on that wild, wild finish from the World Series game last night. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I don't think that's a wrong thing to say it's up there with one of the greatest games you've ever seen. It's one of the greatest games I've ever seen in a while at the very least. But that ending, it's really all about that ending. It's an 8-7 to seven game. People love high-scoring baseball games, but that ending was probably one of the greatest endings I've ever seen to a baseball game, period. You have the error, and then you have the drop ball at home plate. There was, there was just nothing like that. I mean, I, everybody thought, okay, we're going to have the game tied. Maybe what happens? You know, they're going to get the second guy out. But then you just see, you know, the guy slamming the home play, and it's just one of the greatest moments you'll ever see in baseball. But it was, it was really exciting. And it's like baseball is back. It's really back to being really exciting. And it's, 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 the rest of the series is going to be amazing. It's, the Rays are putting up much more of a fight than we really thought they may be able to. But it's a great series so far. I can't wait to watch game next game tonight. Oh, yeah. I think I, think I tweeted it out like three times. I was like, what did I just – what just happened? Like, what did I just witness? Because I couldn't believe that not only did they bobble the ball in the outfield, but then just Will Smith taking his eye off for a second and losing the ball at home. And somehow, even with Arena tripping, he still got in. But just that Rays team puts up a fight, and they just keep clawing back every time they're, they look like they're dead. Yeah, that 8-7 to seven victory that the Rays had over the Dodgers last night, it was pretty wild. I mean – about as back and forth as you'll ever see a game go. As soon as one team put up a score, another went back and drove up the runs again. And this is happening right now because of a lot of the unsung heroes of this raised baseball club. And this is a team that had a payroll of about $28 million entering the season, going up against the Dodgers team that has a payroll well over the $100 million mark. It's, absolutely nuts the way that these two teams have battled each other. I mean, 
Randy Rosarena. Wow. He was not the centerpiece of the trade that this team made with the Cardinals, but he has quickly become that centerpiece. The second only ever victory in a World Series game. Well, it's the third overall victory for the, uh, the Tampa Bay Rays in a World Series. It's the first time they've ever won two games. Uh, they lost to the Phillies way back when in the World Series. But this is the first time ever they've gotten to two victories in a World Series. And uh, listen, I am all on board to say that if the Dodgers don't go up and win game five, they're not taking this series. Last night, that with Rosarena tripping before he makes it to home plate, yet still because of errors on the field, a bad throw by Max Muncy, a bobble in the outfield by Kevin Kiermeyer. I mean, the Dodgers just have something going on with them where they get there, but they can't finish. They always get to the World Series. They're stacked throughout the postseason. Everybody always thinks this is their year. Then they can't finish in the World Series. And I think if they go out and Clayton Kershaw does not pitch a good game five, I don't think the Dodgers are taking this series because before the season even started, the Rays were my pick to win the World Series. Now they have a little bit of momentum going in their way thanks to that amazing victory last night. What do you guys think? Yeah, the I mean, Rays have all the momentum right now. It, I mean, th- th- that play, dropping the ball at home play, is one of those plays that just kills a team like the Dodgers. And you, they're right. The Dodgers have gotten there. This is the third time they've gotten there in the last four years, and it's looking like they might lose a third World Series. It's not just been the story of this specific Dodgers team, but this whole franchise as a whole throughout their entire existence. But, I mean, I hate to make NFL MLB comparisons, but they remind me of the Buffalo Bills in, like, the 80s when they lost four Super Bowls in a row. They always thought they were going to get there. They had a great roster every single year, some of the greatest players to ever play the game, and they can't finish in that last championship game. But as for this series – I it's just the momentum is just all with Tampa right now and the Dodgers have to respond and you're right if they don't win this game Tampa Bay is going to take this series I, I do agree with that but it's just one of those momentum swings that wins a team like the Rays the World Series and I, if I had to give you a prediction I think it's going to happen with the Rays exactly I'm I've been very high on the Rays since probably I think the division series because just watching that small ball is so different from what we're used to. But you also have to realize that both rosters going in are stacked, and it is a money ball situation. It just comes down to the bullpen. The Rays have a bullpen where they can send a guy in in the fourth inning, down a run, and that guy can work for three innings. And then another guy can come in and work the rest of the game, where the Dodgers really need to – their big key pieces being – Urias and Kenley Jansen and I mean Kenley Jansen just can never seem to get it done in the ninth in big situations yeah last night giving up that base hit to Brett Phillips and I mean talk about Brett Phillips was not even on the ALCS roster that helped that team beat the Astros to play the Dodgers in the World Series he wasn't even on that roster makes it to the World Series roster and just like that writes his name in the history books with a defining play but I want to get back to a Rosarena because Rosarena is one of those players that has just simply erupted this offseason. We look at his, uh, his regular season stats, not too bad, of course. 281, seven home runs, 11 RBIs, and 64 at-bats, right? So you think that's good. Well, this postseason he's had 69 at-bats with a 377 average, nine home runs, 12 RBIs. The only difference, he's not stealing bases uh, during the postseason so far. But I think the Rays are just okay with that, with the way that he has produced. 
breaking records left and right. Uh, this young man has brought his absolute best game to the postseason. And I guess if you had to pick an offensive leader for this Rays team, it, it would be uh, Randy Rosarena. Absolutely. I mean, he's a stud. Like you said, he re- he's really been bringing in the postseason and he's breaking records. He broke, I mean, God's sake, he passed Barry Bonds for the most home runs in a single postseason. That's something you don't hear very often, somebody passing Barry Bonds in home runs in any category. Like, and he just, he has something in him. He has the X factor that's just going to keep him going through the rest of his career. Because he, like you said, he is young and just something clicked in him and he's just I can't wait to see how far he's going to be able to go yeah he's just stepped up when a team like the Rays have needed him like you said without one clear leader in hitting he's been that guy it's it's been the biggest question for the Rays who's going to step up he stepped up and it's just one of the there's always that x-factor player in every championship team no matter the sport that finds a way to help that team win a World Series, win whatever championship it might be. And he's going to be that X Factor, I think. But he's been that X Factor. Hopefully, well, he'll continue to be that X Factor. Maybe we'll see what happens. I mean, he's got he's got to go against Clayton Kershaw tonight. But he's had his history of postseason choking. We'll see what happens there. But, yeah, Randy Rosarena, he has been an absolute stud, and I can't wait to see him play for the rest of his career, and especially this series. He certainly – has busted onto the scene, if you will. And I like that you brought up Clayton Kershaw choking. We'll look a little bit more at the matchup tonight of Glasnow versus Kershaw because Glasnow is one of those pitchers where you know he has it in him, but his performance just hasn't exactly gotten them through. He had a little bit of a rough going in game one of the World Series. Kershaw pitched dominantly. He pitched six solid innings, but Glasnow – Something about him this postseason is a little bit off, but he can get things going tonight. With uh, I think he's going to ride that positive momentum that that his team showed in Game Four, um, and I think we'll see the title glass now that we're used to seeing in the regular season—the one that racks up strikeout upon strikeout. Uh, and I think for me, the X factor in Game Five—it's not going to be offense because we know both of these teams are packed with offense. I mean, we've been talking about this game for probably about 10 minutes. We haven't even brought up Mookie Betts, who, uh, you know, he was the center of a trade for the Red Sox that could end up being, you know, the, their second worst trade of all time. And that's saying something because the worst trade of all time is the Babe Ruth trade, you know, the curse of the Bambino. Uh, this could be the curse of the Mook for the Red Sox if they don't, uh, if they don't get anything successful from that trade. And I don't think they're going to, because you trade away a top market player in Mookie Betts, but that's just me going off on a tangent. But um, anyway, I think the, the, the X factor of the game five will be who has a better start glass now or Kershaw, because both of these bullpens are getting taxed during this postseason, and whichever starter can hold in there. Usually I think that team is going to come out on top. For sure. I think Glasnow has it in him. I think game one was really just nerves because um, Glasnow doesn't really have that experience of postseason play. I mean, Christ's sake, he played for the Pirates for for a long time before he got traded to the Rays. So we all know he doesn't have postseason experience. But having the momentum from the last game and also just having a little more experience and like feeling the the vibe of the World Series after his game one start, I think he's going to be the guy to – to ride that game because uh, Kershaw does have that history of not playing well in big games. 
and just kind of failing to come up uh, when his team really needs him. But I don't know. It could really come down to just who has the better bullpen. Yeah, the bullpen's going to be a big play. But starting pitching is really huge this time. I mean, we have Clayton Kershaw, who's – I mean, we've talked about it already, his history of poor performance when his team needs him most in the postseason. But this is his opportunity to just quiet all of that and have a good showing against Tampa Bay and prove, hey, I can actually perform when my team needs me. But, I mean, it's just – I mean, Glasnow needs to do it too. We could have another 8-7 to seven game tonight. We'll see. There hasn't been a lot of low-scoring games, really, this World Series. It's been exciting to watch. But, I, I mean, every World Series needs a game where you got like a 1-0, 1-1, 2-1 game. This could be it tonight. It's, I mean, it's just, it's just going to come down to, is Clayton Kershaw going to show up? Do I think he will? We'll see what happens. I'm not even too sure what to say. I'm just ready to watch it. But it's going to come down to that pitching duo, and it's going to be exciting to watch for sure. It is definitely going to be exciting to watch. And something that I guess was a, a little exciting to see, we're going to be shifting topics now, is um, in the UFC world, uh, Khabib, after knocking out Justin Gaffji last night, decided to lay down the gloves and retire with potentially the, the best – uh, the best record of all time for UFC. I think he's up there in that conversation because he finishes his career 29-0. and 0, And his past three fights, they weren't exactly easy competitors either. Now, a lot of this came from like an emotional and spiritual level from the Eagle. That's his nickname. Um, because of the, the impact of his father. His father passed away, unfortunately, from COVID-19. And he, he vowed to people that were close with him, he would never have another fight without his father there his father was a trainer he even trained him remotely on occasion he was just someone who was that important to Khabib and at the end of the day he laid down the gloves and really just bawled his eyes out and a lot of people are making uh, the comparisons to the basketball world when Michael Jordan won his title with the Bulls and he, that image of him holding the trophy and crying because he won it on Father's Day after his father had passed um while this wasn't this fight wasn't on Father's Day or you know anything like that, this was uh, a monumental win for Khabib. He showed that he still had what it takes, and he's leaving the fighting world while on top. Yeah, I mean it's a great. It's, I, I have no problem with him leaving. I think he left at a perfect moment to just be on top and be the most dominant fighter potentially ever. Uh, there's going to be a debate for him for a long time because of how early he retired. And he still could have shown a lot. He was still very dominant. But Khabib retiring, I mean, it's just a great moment. You know, even have the, uh, the opposing fighter come up to him and, and offer his condolences. It was just a great moment for UFC and sports. But uh, Khabib retiring, is, it's, it's sad for UFC because he's such an exciting fighter to watch. We'll never get that McGregor fight part two that everybody wants to see. I don't know if UFC fans really want to see that, but... I mean, Khabib retires, and he's one of the greatest fighters ever, went out on top. I mean, it's really the only way to go for him. I have no problem with him retiring. It's a great moment. Mm -hmm. I'm not a huge UFC fan, but I, I remember seeing it, like, online afterwards and seeing the videos. And it is one of those, like, big, impactful moments in sports that you kind of sit back and, and you're a little shaken afterwards. And... I think it probably is the best time for him to go because, like we've said, he's leaving a legendary mark on the UFC community with how dominant he has been in every fight that he's been in. And it's obviously to honor his father. That's why he's 
leaving. So you kind of have to, I don't really know where I'm going with this. I'm kind of going off on a tangent, but like just the fact that he's leaving his legendary career behind because of something so impactful to him and so important to him is really striking. Yeah, it's awesome. And I mean, just to go back, uh, including that last fight that he just won, his previous two before that, Poirier and McGregor, two fantastic fighters in their own right. Obviously, everyone knows Conor McGregor, Dustin Poirier as well. And the thing with Khabib is that, you know, usually people see their career coming to an end with a, a couple of losses in a row. No, he's leaving while he's dominant. His past three victories have all come on submissions, which is just outstanding. Um, it didn't even go to the fifth round in all of those three. I, they're all legendary fighters as well. Those aren't just any pushover names. So it's not like he kind of eased his way into a retirement, if you will. He worked hard until the, the very last second. And I think that's what makes him such a special fighter and why he's just going to leave such a, a long-lasting legacy on this sport yeah i mean it's just gonna be a, he's gonna be one of those guys that ufc fans and even sports fans remember for the rest of their lives and even past that you know it's he's just gonna be a generationally remembered fighter you know he just has so many legendary fights i mean the mcgregor fight is legendary too and i mean he was just an absolute dog fighting in, in, in the octagon i mean i loved watching him fight you know but i mean he's just he was just always so locked in when he prepared for fights he just, I mean, there's the video of him fighting a bear, but during the fights, he would like, be punching someone and tell someone, I deserve it. And those are just, it's just <laughs> bone chilling to me. I mean, if I was the other guy, I'm, I'm tapping out after hearing that. Like, I know I'm losing, but he was just so much fun to watch as a fight, you know, for a fighter. And you're going to remember him forever. People are going to go back and watch those highlights all the time. I love him. So uh, moving forward now to someone else that will be remembered uh, in UFC history not for the same reasons, however. Um, Colby Covington is someone who loves to spark a lot of controversy. And listen, he's a very talented fighter, um, but I think he's even better at running his mouth because he all he does whenever he enters a room, he just has that personality about him that, you know what, he's going to be one of those people that draws your attention by pissing you off. And I experienced that firsthand. Um, when I, when the, they had a UFC fight at the Prudential Center, it was him and Robbie Lawler, and they had this press conference. It, it was not the weigh-in, but they all they had a press conference there for the fight. And uh, it was when they rolled on the mats and they, they show off their moves. It, he walked in and instantly just gave off this awful vibe about him talked about how bad of a city Nork is and it was just not nice to his uh his host probably spoke to the media about five minutes at most before he said I'm tired of this and left and Colby Covington recently picked probably one of the the worst people recently to have a, a debate with just LeBron James for some reason he's deciding to go after LeBron James the best basketball player that's playing right now an absolute legend in the game. And I think it's because Le LeBron is just, he's very active in um, the Black Lives Matter conversation and conversations for social justice. 
and Colby Covington is probably on the opposite end of the spectrum. He shows up to press conferences in Make America Great Again hats. He receives phone calls from the president. So the two are polar opposites, but they don't, they don't uh, necessarily – Colby Covington does not really believe in engaging in a nice and kind, uh, open-hearted debate. And he has been constantly calling out LeBron James – for no reason recently, going as far as sarcastically uh, wishing LeBron James congrats on the NBA Finals, talking about how LeBron James had the, the, the low, one of the lower ratings in NBA history for people watching the NBA Finals. Overall, it's just completely unnecessary, and I don't understand what this guy's doing. I would really appreciate it if either of you could tell me what is going on in this man's head right now? Because clearly it's not much. I will very much try to. I don't know if I'll be able to, but I, I, I don't understand it either. I mean, I'm trying to bring it together, but it's, I, it's just his brand. It's what he's trying to build. He's building his brand as the guy that goes at whoever because he's a, you know, he has the Make America Great Again hat. He's just trying to be just a, just a red target, literally for everyone to look at all the time. But the thing about Colby Covington, uh, he will not be remembered as a fighter for what he did in the octagon. He will be remembered for what he did at press conferences and attacking LeBron James. I don't know why he's doing that. I I hope he knows that. Um, But it's just, you have the LeBron call out. And what I like that LeBron's doing is LeBron is paying this absolutely no attention publicly. I wouldn't even call this beef. It's just someone yelling at LeBron and LeBron just kind of brushing it off, you know, it's, and he said, no one cares about the ratings right now. You have a pandemic season. There was Sunday night football on and the game was a blowout. So, you know, I saw one post comparing it to uh, Michael Jordan's game six against Utah, which was one of the most legendary games of all time. And Sunday night football was not on or as popular at the time either. So there's, it's just a way for him to get attention from the media. And I guess it's working because people, including us are talking about it. Yeah, exactly. It sounds like he he really just wants attention. I think that's what it's coming towards. And I think he said, let's pick the biggest name out of a hat of names and let's go after him and see how much uh, media I can get out of this, either for promotion's sake or just to try to get remembered for something maybe. Yeah. And for me, uh, I think it's just like you're seeing a gross double standard here in, in the media um, LeBron James was one of the, the targets of, of Laura Ingram when she told athletes to shut up and, and dribble. But yet, after a fight last year against, uh, against Kamaru Usman, which um, Covington lost, by the way, he got knocked out. He got punched out. He got his lights knocked out. He, he asked uh, Usman, he was taunting him, asking him if he was getting smoke signals from his villages. Yet, you know, you don't see the media talking about how this guy needs to be shut down or anything like that. It's absolutely disgusting. And I think people like him serve no good purpose in the face of sports. People like him are what's wrong with sports nowadays because he, he and, and people like him, they're, they're the people that need to be brought out of the game because he clearly, he has no good intentions. He, he will never be able to compare in, in career accolades in his sport compared to what LeBron James did. It all just makes, to me, it, it, it makes me so angry to see people like Colby Covington because, you know, a lot of young people watch the UFC and they see him getting away with this kind of stuff. And 
to see Dana White, the president of UFC, his response to that was, you know, everybody is allowed to speak their mind here, speak their belief. Uh, nobody is going to be muzzled around here. And then to, to see LeBron James when he just says something which was nowhere near what um, Covington was saying in his, uh, um, his comments about the President Trump, he said something about the, the country was just not being coached well, which, you know, relating it to his own sport. But what Covington said was just flat out racist. And it just makes no sense as to why people like Covington get promoted but James, the people try to shut James down when people are just trying to talk politics in a respectful way. I just don't understand it. Yeah, I mean, like you said, it's just that double standard that parts of the media have. You know, it, it wasn't shut up and dribble. It's shut up about what's right, you know, for LeBron. It, it, wasn't, it was just to push people's agendas. It's what's constantly going on in politics. But for Colby, it's just it's bad for the sport to have fighters be known for that instead of their actual fighting ability when there's other fighters who could easily replace him and beat him. I mean, if Khabib didn't retire, we'd all know what happened in that fight. So it's, there's no real place for it to be, you know, it's not, he doesn't also use it to say, this is what's right for the country. He uses it to attack people. You know, like I, I, I'm all for him talking about what he believes in politics, as long as it's not attacking people, as long as it's not, you know, being potentially racist remarks, you know, but it's just, it's just not fun to watch. It's not good to see. It's just, I, I just don't get it. I don't know why this is, you know, admired by a lot of people. I don't know. Yeah. It, it creates a culture around the sport and the, especially if Dana White is still like sanctioning the allowance of people just kind of running their mouths like that. Uh, you see the culture start to build and now, UFC a lot is known for like big mouths and and big fists with people like Conor McGregor and um, this fighter. And it's just not, there's no, like you both have said, there's no place for it. There's no reason to, to call people out like this and just be straight, like make straight up racist remarks at other fighters. And if it is going on, the president needs to sit down and, and weed out all the problems and start to remake the culture of UFC to something that everybody can enjoy. Yeah. Well, moving on now to some NFL action. It is Sunday, of course, but a lot of the big news happening uh, before Sunday this week in the NFL, a lot of transactions going on in the NFL. First of all, Tom Brady reuniting with an old friend, if you will, Antonio Brown joining the roster down in Tampa Bay. What a huge pickup for that team. Apparently, Tom Brady didn't like the receivers he had already. Didn't, you know, Gronk not making a difference. So he says, okay, time to add Antonio Brown to the mix. Let's see what happens. I want to know what you guys think about that. It's a phenomenal signing for the Buccaneers because now they have a receiving core of Brown, Mike Evans, O.J. Howard. Like, you, you have a legitimate offense. I mean, obviously, we've seen that they can't really get it going this year for one reason or another. But I also don't really know why the NFL is letting him back in because from from history all he's done is cause problems for the league and cause bad publicity for the league I mean I guess any publicity is good publicity but at some point Goodell has to put his foot down and be like hey either you're gonna follow the rules and not be a 
a brat or you're going to be done for the for good. Yeah, I mean, going off that, this is probably Antonio Brown's last chance to really prove that he has what it takes to be an NFL player in that regard. He has all the talent in the world. And when he was at his peak, he was the best receiver in all of the NFL, maybe besides Julio Jones. That's how good this guy can be. And if he can get his, get his act together... You know, I know there's whatever other issues he has going on. He's, you know, hopefully he's addressed them all by now. And hopefully he's a better person, better player at this point. You know, but just looking at it from a football perspective, this has a chance to be one of the best offenses ever if Antonio Brown is as good as he can be. I mean, you have Gronk, who's been more of a blocker this year, but he's, you know, he has a touchdown in the game against the Raiders right now, actually. But I mean, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they are starting to get it going. They're 4-2 and two at the moment, and that offense is starting to click with Mike Evans, with Chris Godwin, now with Antonio Brown and Gronkowski. They lose O.J. Howard, which is a big loss at tight end, but they have plenty to replace that. And it's just all these moves are just responses to one move, which we'll probably end up getting to his Le'Veon Bell to the Chiefs. But this offense with Antonio Brown, this could be another Tom Brady to Randy Moss connection. That's how good Antonio Brown is. But – We'll see what happens. I don't think he'll get to that potential quite yet, but he has all of the chance to get there. And you know what's crazy right now? If we're talking about the the rich getting richer, how about the Baltimore Ravens defense trading for Yannick Ngaku this weekend or this week? Uh, Baltimore already allowed the least amount of points per game, 17.3, and they said, you know what? We, uh, we just need to make ourselves a little bit better. They sent a third-round pick for the 2021 draft and a 2022 conditional fifth-round pick to the Vikings just to make their defense that much more scary. I clearly think that the Ravens see themselves facing the Chiefs on their path to the Super Bowl. So, you know, with the Chiefs stacking up their offense uh, with the addition of Le'Veon Bell, I think this is just a, a chess move by the Ravens kind of like, all right, you're going to go get Bell. We're going to go get Ngaku. And then we're going to uh, make our defense better. Like you made your offense better. Yeah. That was the first thing I thought of when I saw that, uh, that trade for Yannick Ngakwe. And it was confusing from the Vikings. I, it's, it's a sign that they may be going full tank mode because they lose Daniel Hunter for the season. And then they trade Yannick Ngakwe. It's just, it was weird timing, but for the Ravens, you know, they're not worried about what the Vikings do, they're worried about what they do. And it's, yeah, it's like you said, it's a chess move of the signing of Le'Veon Bell. They're going to have to stuff the run against Kansas City, and Yannick is a great defensive end, especially when he's at his best. He is one of the better ones in the NFL. I mean, in Jacksonville, he's an absolute monster, but we'll see if he can be as good with Baltimore. He's been good in Minnesota, but that D-line looks scary especially with Clyde Campbell as well so and you have one of the better secondaries in the entire NFL in my eyes maybe besides Pittsburgh which is in their division they're the best defense in the NFL so I I can't wait for Pittsburgh versus Baltimore twice when that happens so but also I do I do still think it'll be the AFC championship will be Kansas City and Baltimore so that game's gonna be fun too it's a lot of great NFL coming up if we could even get to it but um We'll see what happens there. I think that it's going to be a great matchup. Any any of these great teams playing the Ravens because that defense is stout. Yeah, I don't really like we've said. I don't really know what was going through the Vikings' head when they made this trade because I think they actually got less of a return than what they gave to Jacksonville for Ngakwe. But now with the Ravens reuniting Yannick Ngakwe and Calais Campbell, there is no way anybody is going to be able to get past that line. That line is just going to get in your face. 
and be a menace to deal with for any team. Pittsburgh, Kansas City, anybody else, they kind of end up hitting on that playoff push once we get there. I, it's insane. Yeah, and that's going to be so interesting. I agree when the Ravens face the Steelers because the Steelers pulled out a great victory on Sunday against the Tennessee Titans. It was the battle of the undefeateds taking on each other. And Steelers opened that game up pretty strong, but then struggled down the road to close out that game. They pulled it out by probably the skin of their teeth. But, I mean, what is your guys' instant reaction to that game? Because it probably ended about, like, maybe an hour and a half ago as of, uh, as of our recording. But um, a lot of things to digest in that game. Great performance by Ryan Tannenhill, but Pittsburgh was able to pull it out. Uh, yeah, my main thought of it is Steven Guskowski may be unemployed tomorrow. I mean, they're missing <laughs> that field goal. You know, I mean, he, he's had his struggles this season, even though Tennessee is now 5-1. and one. They were undefeated going into this game. But, I mean, they both played a great game. Both teams were phenomenal. I would have loved to see it go to overtime. Well, if it was college overtime, I would have loved to see it. But, I mean, that was just two of the best teams in the AFC and the entire NFL going at it. Two, two heavyweights going at each other. It was a great performance for both teams, you know. Uh, I mean, there's a trend. It, when Derrick Henry has 100 yards in a game, the Titans are 16-0. Derrick Henry didn't have 100 yards today. They lost the game. I, it's, it's still – it still shows – Derek, if you can shut down Derek Henry, this Tennessee Titans team isn't going to do much against you. I mean, who knows what would have happened if Tennessee was able to get to overtime if Steven Gaskowski made that field goal. But, I mean, for the future of Tennessee, now they really have to start winning those divisional games because the Colts are right behind you. So, but Pittsburgh, they look good. And, I mean, Pittsburgh and Baltimore should both be undefeated when they play each other eventually. We'll see if, we'll see if that's true, but... This was a good game, and there's plenty of great games from Pittsburgh left to go. So it's going to be exciting to watch. My initial reaction probably was, this is what you expect out of Pittsburgh. Like, this is what they've been touted to be for years with Ben coming back twice and, the, and them saying, oh, he's going to be better this year. And then the next year, oh, he's going to be better this year. But now they really have the weapons on offense to complement him. I mean, they have Chase Claypool. He's a six-foot f- Six foot four wide receiver that's built like a tight end, and he's out here, you know, bolting halfway down the field in four seconds. And their running attack is phenomenal, even though it's not touted as highly as it should be. But Tennessee can put up a fight. That's what they showed. Like, even if Derrick Henry doesn't have 100 yards and they still lose, they're still able to claw their way into games and make it a game, even if they do take the loss. Yeah, there were a lot of really good games um, across the NFL on Sunday. Now, stop me if you have heard this headline before, but the Falcons gave up (laughs) a lead late in the game. They lost 23-22 to to the Detroit Lions in one of the closer finishes of NFL action on Sunday. I mean, when is it going to stop for the Atlanta Falcons, Braves, and probably the Hawks when they get there too? Yeah, I mean, you'll probably even be able to track that to Atlanta United somehow too with the MLS. I mean, it's just everywhere. Mm -hmm. Atlanta sports – if, if you're an Atlanta fan, I'm sorry for you. I mean, it's just not fun. You see your team go up all the time, and then they just blow it every every single time. It's just the Falcons, it's like the third – I think it's the third lead they've blown in the fourth quarter this season so far. Mm-hmm. This team could very well be – you know, have a maybe a 500 record. Now they're one and six, and in the Trevor Lawrence talks. But 
I mean, this game, you have Todd Gurley give, if you remember that one giant Super Bowl, some Ahmad Bradshaw vibes when he tried to not score, but accidentally did score. For the Giants, it didn't go back in their face, but for the Falcons, what do you know? It did because Atlanta. So, I mean, but Matthew Stafford, he shows that he can always get it done. He's probably he's one of the most underrated, not just players right now, but of all time, in my opinion. If he was not in Detroit, he'd be a Hall of Fame quarterback to me. But the Lions, three and three, they're not going to win that division because Green Bay and Chicago exist, but they are a team that's just – they're always in games. They're always in close games. But this was another one of those close games, and they came back against Atlanta, one of those teams that always comes back, playing a team that always goes away. It's like a, it's like a harmony. It was great. Exactly. I mean, it, it's just unfortunate for Atlanta. Like, at this, like it's got to stop at some point, right? There's got to be some sort of <laughs> – the Braves blowing their lead in the CS, and now the Falcons going to one and six on – what is this? Five blown leads it's or something like that. Amount. But just the dagger, of course, like was stated, is Devontae Freeman just somehow falling into the end zone when trying to not score? Like, I mean, obviously it's just a a mistake and there's nothing you can really do about it, but why not just stop a little earlier instead of falling, like, right next to the goal line? Yeah, it was weird because he was being dragged by a Lions defender closer to it. He tried to stop, but he couldn't. The momentum was just there, but Mm -hmm. it's just – Atlanta fans are probably watching that. Yeah, that's that's what happens. This is this is my everyday. Yeah, that's fair. Oh well. Yeah, you know, I bet you fans of sports in the whole Georgia, Florida area would never see the day when it was more fun to be a Tampa Bay sports fan than an Atlanta sports fan. Because Tampa Bay sports right now, let me tell you, they are having a moment, right? So you got the Tampa Bay Lightning finally winning the Stanley Cup. They've been in the conversation probably the last four seasons. They finally take the cup. The Rays are two wins away from winning the World Series. And right now, the Buccaneers have the best quarterback of all time starting at their quarterback position. It is the, it's the best time probably in Tampa Bay sports history. Yeah, I mean, you can even track it to Florida with the Miami Heat making the NBA Finals too. I mean, it's to, be, to live in Florida – Besides COVID, it's a great time. But, uh, I mean, you had to, I mean, Tampa Bay might just sweep all the championships that they could win. It's, if, they, if they can do that, it's going to be a crazy thing. I mean, L.A. could do it. L.A. could get close to it if they win the World Series. They'll have their basketball team win one, the MLB team win one. But Tampa Bay sports, you have the Lightning finally winning that Stanley Cup. I've wanted them to win a Stanley Cup for so long with Nikita Kucherov and Steven Stamkos really deserving one. That whole team deserved one, and they finally got it. Shout out to Blake Coleman, my New Jersey devil. But, yeah, it's just exciting to be in Tampa if you are in Tampa. Um, I'm jealous, very jealous. But, I mean, hey, it's a good time to be there if you're a sports fan. Yeah, it's it's unprecedented to see a a city like this just have a – resurgence of all their sports teams. I mean, we've seen it in a couple other places. Obviously, L.A. has it seemingly every other year at this point. But you you hear these Tampa Bay teams and you just think, oh, that's a dead franchise kind of, like especially the Rays. You're like, oh, they're, they're never good. They'll never make it anywhere. And now here they are two wins away. You hear the lightning. Oh, they blew the, they blew the series against Columbus and got swept. They blew it again the next year. And now here they are, Steven Stamkos finally raising the Stanley Cup after all those years. And now uh, the Bucs are finally back in the conversation of, 
are they actually as good as um, advertised? Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely been a moment for Tampa Bay sports. Um, it's been probably the exact opposite of a moment for New York sports, which, you know, everyone growing up in the New York, New Jersey area always heard, you know, New York sports is the, the place to be. And, you know, I grew up believing that and I'm sitting here now and I'm just looking at it like that can not actually be the case. I mean, this year we, we had the Yankees uh, and then that, that didn't go very far at all. Um, the football teams, I think a, a, a great just visualization of that was uh, Daniel Jones on his run the other night. And which, you know what, to me, that's a totally relatable experience falling at the 20 the yard line like that, because you know what, I don't think Daniel Jones is used to running that fast that much. And I think he, he ran out of energy. Um, and that's why his legs gave out on him. But you know, a, another rough but a loss by a New York sports team. Uh, in the, the the New York Giants on Thursday night football against the rival Eagles. Yeah, that was uh, some of the worst football I've ever seen in my entire life. But, I mean, that is a great metaphor, Daniel Jones. Fault, or having one of the fastest times clocked in by – having the fastest time, actually, clocked mm-hmm. in by a quarterback this season. And then just falling right before the end zone. You got to pick up his feet there. It, But, I mean, I don't – can you – I don't think anyone can think of a positive – to take away from this game (laughs) besides the fact that it was a close, exciting game. It was just neither team really showed anything good or special. It was just a dumpster fire of a game. Mm -hmm. But I mean, you can, I mean, New York sports, it's just the way it's been. The jets too (laughs) haven't won a game. If they get Trevor Lawrence, they'll probably ruin him somehow some way uh it's just it has not been fun and i don't even think anybody wants to talk about the next they are terrible so we'll see what happens in new york it's just not a fun time yeah i mean i i absolutely feel for new york fans i mean i'm a philly fan uh through and through so i mean i can see one positive from that giants eagles dumpster fire is the eagles somehow scraped away with a win but like just the I like to say the factory of sadness that New York sports has become. I mean, you guys had the Yankees and then they fell off somewhere. The Jets are, you know, the eternal dumpster fire and the Giants are slowly creeping into that same zone that the the Jets are. But hopefully eventually you guys will pick it back up. Um, Yeah, I think that what is interesting about the Jets, the Giants, and I'll even throw the Eagles in there is that all three of them have an interesting decision to make at the quarterback position because I know a lot of Jets fans are not happy with Sam Darnold. A lot of Giants fans are not happy with Daniel Jones. And I know a lot of Eagles fans that might want Jalen Hurts in there instead of Carson Wentz. So what do you guys think about those three quarterback situations? And do you think that those teams are going to have different quarterbacks come next year? For the Eagles, I don't think they're going to have a, a different quarterback for a long time. I think the front office and Doug Peterson believe in Carson Wentz and believe in what he can do when the whole team is healthy, which is the unfortunate thing is the whole team is currently out with injury. I mean, we're missing our wide receiver one, two, three, four, and both our starting tight ends and our whole offensive line besides our center. And that's not me making excuses because I'm also a big advocate of let's try the Jalen Hurts experience and see how that goes for a little bit. As for the Jets and Giants, I think 
the Giants need to make the decision and either think about getting rid of Daniel Jones or really building around him soon because right now they're still really not building around what Daniel Jones is capable of and what he's known for. And then the Sam Darnold situation is the same thing. The Jets have just been imploding on themselves and not giving Darnold the help. So I think he needs to either request a way out of there or they need to get him out of there soon because he has potential. He just can't show it. I'm going to say one word for all three of these teams, and that word is patience. There is no patience with quarterbacks anymore. It used to be you let your quarterback ride that five-year contract out and you see what he can do when you build the team around him. Now it's just, if you're not good in two years, get out. Everybody wants you out. Everybody just wants to get rid of that quarterback. The problem in New York is not Daniel Jones. It is that receiving core that has not been very good or very strong and injured, I will say that. If Evan Ingram doesn't drop that pass, the Giants win the football game. It's that simple. And that offensive line has been nothing special for years now. You know, Andrew Thomas is not looking that great. So it's not Daniel Jones. It is the team around him. It's the same thing for Sam Darnold. It's the same thing for Carson Wentz. I think Carson Wentz is obviously the most talented quarterback out of that trio, and I don't think he should go anywhere. I watched a lot of Oklahoma games last year. Jalen Hurts does not show NFL capabilities at this very moment in time to me. He is a Taysom Hill guy that's not as fast as Taysom Hill. But I don't think the Eagles should try that experiment just yet. I mean, they just won a football game. It wouldn't make sense to try the Jalen Hurts experiment after you win, even if it's against the Giants by one somehow. Carson Wentz, when he was healthy before that ACL injury, looked like one of the best rookies we've seen in a long time. You know, even the year before, he looked really good. Carson Wentz has been very inconsistent at times this season, but when he's at his best, he's an elite quarterback. You know, Sam Darnold, when he's at his best, he has potential to become an elite quarterback. He's not there yet at all. I don't know if he's ruined yet. I don't think he is. But if the Jets get the number one pick, I had this idea – if you trade Sam Darnold to Pittsburgh, potentially, I think they, I think the Jets are going to explore trading Sam Darnold. And if Pittsburgh offers a first-round pick, they are taking that very easily. And they get the number one pick. They don't take Trevor Lawrence. They trade the number one pick. And if Dak Prescott is no longer a Dallas Cowboy, you sign Dak Prescott if he's willing to come. Because if you that number one pick this year is going to be the most valuable number one pick that we have seen since the Andrew Luck pick that never got traded. Trevor Lawrence is the most valuable quarterback prospect since Andrew Luck and John Elway. He's that good. So I think the the best move is to trade the number one pick because you may get three first-round picks from that. You're going to get a lot of draft capital. And for the Jets, it's not new quarterback. It's new entire roster and new head coach. It's a lot of patience is needed, and it starts with making the right moves in the front office. Yes, the Jets have had a rotating carousel there at the the coaching position. Um, What I think is interesting is that you're not ready to give up on Daniel Jones. Um, What what do you have to say then to his his turnover issue? Because he likes to turn that ball over more than a chef likes to turn over apples. No, that's true. That's very true. But the thing about the Giants is who do you replace him with? Maybe Justin Fields, if you're able to get that. But that can be fixed and cleaned up if he wasn't getting rushed every single play. That's my eyes with him. He does need to fix that. That fumbling problem, it's, it's just it's not good. You can't have that as an NFL quarterback. But that can be coached, and he hasn't had the coaching. So for Daniel Jones, I mean, his, he makes a lot of the great throws. He makes a lot of the right decisions. He just has to hold on to the football. You know, I mean, he throws a lot of interceptions. But when you get rushed all the time, that's what happens. Even it's a mindset thing. When you're just expecting to be run over every single play, you're going to make decisions at a worse rate. 
And, you know, Darius Slayton has shown a lot of potential. That's it. That's it for the Giants. Shepard's been hurt all the time. Ingram has been dropping a lot of balls. Give Daniel Jones a roster. If he can't do it with a roster, you move on. That's what I think should happen. I don't, I don't think it's there yet. He's still very young at this point in his career. He's second, second year quarterback. So we'll see. What I think is interesting with the league right now and quarterbacks is that, and I think you touched on this a little bit earlier, John, is that quarterbacks no longer get the, the Green Bay treatment. They get thrown directly into the action. If you are picked in the first round as an NFL quarterback, you most likely are going to be starting on opening day for that NFL franchise. And that's just not the way that things used to go. I mean, you look at some of the more elite talent at the quarterback position in this league right now, a lot of them had opportunity to sit and enjoy the bench for a little bit. I mean, does Aaron Rodgers ring a bell to anyone? Does Pat Mahomes ring a bell to anyone? They all had a little bit of time to, to learn on the bench, and they all had great mentors too. And the Packers are doing it again. They're realizing that, you know, Aaron Rodgers, as amazing as he still is being right now, he's coming to an age where he might start to hit the twilight of his career. So they go ahead and they draft Jordan Love. Now, Love does not have everything – when it comes to a quarterback prospect, but they're okay with that because they're going to take the time to develop him on the bench and make him mature as a prospect. And, you know, I think that the issue now is just these athletes are getting rushed onto the field. They're facing guys who will not have careers in the NFL and they get thrown out onto the field against career NFL people. And to me, that's just very unfair to the quarterback. Yeah, I, I agree with you completely. Look at those elite quarterbacks. Patrick Mahomes is a Super Bowl champion and an MVP. Aaron Rodgers has a Super Bowl. Tom Brady is the greatest ever, and he got to ride the bench for quite some time. The list goes on and on. Lamar Jackson, I mean, a lot of it comes to coaching too. Lamar Jackson had an entire offense revamped from Joe Flacco, one of the least mobile quarterbacks that was in the league at the time, to Lamar Jackson, the greatest mobile quarterback potentially of all time. So – it's a lot of it is coaching, but you have to build a roster around these guys too. And I, I absolutely loved the Jordan Love trade-up and pick. I know Green Bay needs a receiver, but to secure a guy like Jordan Love, who has a lot of talent coming out of Utah State, he has potential to be another Aaron Rodgers, another Brett Favre, especially when you get to learn under Aaron Rodgers, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, for three years potentially – there is no reason that Jordan Love shouldn't have success with the way that that offense is being built with Matt LaFleur. They're going to run a lot. They're going to run a lot. They're going to do a lot of play action. They've been doing that. It's been working. But that is, that, that's what you have to do with quarterbacks. It's how you make them Hall of Famers. It's how you make them consistent starters. Sam Darnold didn't get that. His first game, he threw a pick six against Detroit. Daniel Jones got that a little bit with Eli. I, th I always thought they should have let Eli play more. That's why these guys aren't having a ton of success. I mean, you look at Baker Mayfield. He got thrown in there three games in. He's had four head coaches in his career. You know, it's not these guys' talent. It's their coaching and the situations that they get put in that messes them up mentally and distracts them from all the talent that they have. And it's all they just have to be surrounded. They have to be nurtured. And they need patience in that front office and coaching staff. I think another problem is just NFL rosters in general are getting a lot younger 
and especially with quarterbacks, you're seeing less and less, you know, elite quarterbacks that are still in the league today. I mean, we, we're talking about Brett Favre and like when we're talking about Tom Brady riding the bench, he had, he still drew blood. So was still a serviceable, good quarterback while he was below him. And for Aaron Rodgers, I mean, he had Brett Favre in front of him. So you have to expect he's going to ride the bench and get that treatment. But for guys like Carson Wentz, I mean, he had, I can't even remember who was ahead of him. Sam Bradford, I think, yeah. was the guy who was starting. And Mark Sanchez were his two quarterbacks ahead of him. I mean, obviously, you can learn a little bit from Mark Sanchez, but you're not going to learn much from Mark Sanchez. Or people like now Justin Herbert, who got thrown in there like two weeks into the start of the season. He had Tyrod Taylor in front of him. Luckily, he can learn a little bit from Tyrod Taylor, but he's not an elite quarterback. So while it does come down to building a roster around these and having the right head coaches, it also comes down to you don't have the talent in front of them to let them ride the bench. You have to bank on these guys. And now, even with the Dolphins, you're seeing it. They're sort of starting to, to bank on Tua. And Tua's lucky because he has Ryan Fitzpatrick, who has a phenomenal football IQ and is incredibly underrated in that aspect, that he is a great leader and knows the game of football better than a lot of people in the league right now. Yeah, and I guess we will close out today's show with just going over that Jets game because, you know, for a while in that game, the Jets were not playing like the Jets. They are playing like a completely different football team, and they, they pushed the Bills to some competition in, in their loss on Sunday. Yeah, the Jets didn't look too bad uh, for what we've seen from before. You know, a lot of people started Buffalo Buffalo's defense in fantasy. They didn't get too much out of that. I was one of them. Uh, but, I mean, Sam Darnold throws two interceptions. You know, it, it happens to Sam Darnold. This is nothing new, him throwing interceptions. But, I mean, Josh Allen, 307 yards. He had a good game. Buffalo really just did the bare minimum that it takes to beat the Jets this game. I don't think they really expected too much coming out of the Jets. Uh, they didn't get much from the Jets. They only got 10 <laughs> points put up on them. So the Bills, they, uh, they kind of – I mean, it was a tough game in terms of closeness. But the Bills kind of – they just coasted. They didn't really mm-hmm. do too much. They didn't play too hard. They just said, hey, we don't have to play as hard to beat the Jets. <laughs> they were right. The Jets almost got the upset. They couldn't do it. What else is new? Yeah, exactly. I think that's what a lot of teams – think nowadays about the Jets is it's just an extra bye week so they kind of just go into cruise control like John said you kind of just think all right we'll just put the bare minimum out there like our quarterback will throw a couple passes we'll run a couple RPOs our defense will get in Sam Darnold's face a couple of times we'll try and force a couple picks and we'll we'll walk away with a 29-35 victory or something yeah so very good week of football happening before we recorded this show and probably after we recorded this show as well. Uh, a lot of great matchups, a lot of really close games, but our time has come to an end on the X's and O's podcast. It was a pleasure talking with uh, you guys. It was great. It was a great time. We had a really good conversation here. Always. Yep. So for Joe Walls and John McCooch, my name is Dalton Nelson. Thank you so much for listening to the X's and O's podcast. And if you want to keep up with us on WSOU Sports, make sure you follow us at WSOU Sports on Twitter, Instagram. And also, if you're feeling lovely, like us on Facebook too. But once again, for Joe Walls and John McCooch, my name is Dalton Nelson. Have a great week.